morning, church. I don't know about you, but I've already been blessed this morning from the testimony that Miss Carolyn gave to her song, to the worship, the word that uh, Pastor Matt shared with us. If that's all we had today, I'd be satisfied. I'd be good. But I'm also grateful for this opportunity to come and, and to share the word of the Lord with you today and uh, continue this series that where we've been talking about revival being stronger than ever. And so today, I want to uh, share a passage with you that will be very familiar for some of you. Uh, for others, it may not. But this comes from the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, now, Ezekiel is one of my favorite people in the Bible. And the reason why is because that guy was crazy. Um, seriously, uh, you know, prophets, they've always been kind of on the outside. They've always been a little bit weird. But you don't get any weirder than Ezekiel. Uh, this man, he would have some, some crazy visions from the Lord. And he wasn't ashamed to just write them down and let's get it out there. And, uh, and so we really get some, some strange things in the Bible. Some of the strangest passages and strangest stories in the Bible come from Ezekiel. And so he's like that weird, crazy uncle that we've all got. But anyway, Ezekiel, he, he was primarily concerned with this idea of the kavod Yahweh. He was talking about the presence of God that would come and sit with the people. And um, he was given a series of six visions to guide the Israelites as they went through the period of exile in Babylon. And the first vision was actually that kavod, that presence of God lifting and leaving the temple. It was his way of saying, hey, Elvis has left the building. God has removed his presence from us because we haven't upheld our end of the covenant. And over the course of the, the remainder of his visions, eventually we see uh, that God had not abandoned them, that he was working them through a process and that he was getting them to a place where he could come and be restored and be with them once again. So um, Ezekiel is a weird prophet, but it's also a hopeful series of visions. But today we're going to share one that comes right in the middle, and this is from Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. I'll give you just a second to turn there. But this is a passage that's very familiar because it is so strange. I remember when I was a kid and I read this passage, I was like, you mean to tell me that those kind of stories are in the Bible? I'm, I mean, I'm used to like Noah and the ark and the rainbow in the sky. I'm used to hearing about Jesus at Easter. But this one's a little bit strange. It's a little bit out there. So we're going to read this today. Starting in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. Now I just want to stop there for just a second, and, and I've always hated questions like that, right? Where you know that there's an obvious answer, but you're not sure what that obvious answer is, and so you don't want to open your mouth and make a fool of yourself. I can imagine that that's what Ezekiel was saying right there when God said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's thinking, well, the obvious answer is these guys are dead. They're real dead. They're, in fact, they're dry. They're real dry, right? But can these bones live again? You know, he didn't want to open his mouth and, and make a fool of himself. So he, he took the, the, the coward's way out. He said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. 
So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons appeared on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds, and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. That is a very emphatic statement from God. There's no questioning that one. There's no gray area. There's no wiggle room in that. God was saying, prophesy to the house of Israel. They feel like this field of dead bones. They feel dry. They feel like they've perished, like they're cut off from, from me and from their land. But I want you to prophesy that I will bring them up out of their graves. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea about revival today. I mean, just very simply, if you look at this term, revival, it means a return to life. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to talk about some lies or some deceptions that we get from the world or from our enemy that try to tell us that we can't live again. And so the first uh, lie that I want to look at is this idea of YOLO, you only live once. Pop culture gave us this great little phrase, uh, and mostly it was, a, it was a phrase intended to say, live your life, enjoy it, this is the only life you get. And, and while that, that is true, we should enjoy our life and, and the blessings that God has placed on us, it's a short-sighted per, uh, perspective. It's not looking at long-term, it's not looking at what God is planning to do in you. And so you can't say, uh, just YOLO, I only live once, I don't care about the future, I don't care about what's going to happen, I don't care what God's got planned, I'm just going to do what feels good in the here and now. For others, the, the YOLO is more of a, a pessimistic idea. They look at the world and they see how messed up everything is. And they see all the evil in the world and how people are, are, are nasty and mean and wicked to each other. And they say, you know what? YOLO, th this is all we've got. There's nothing any better. Because God can't exist. He wouldn't allow all these negative things to happen if he was really out there. So I've just got to make the best of my life now because I have no hope for the future. There is no God. There is no afterlife. And so this idea of YOLO... It, 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 it takes two different perspectives here. You know, on the one hand, it's, you know, just live life, enjoy it. And on the other hand, it's like, well, this is as good as it gets. But either way, this is a lie that comes from the enemy. And this is not how God says the world works. So just very simply looking at the idea of revive, it means to return to consciousness or to life. Well, you can't return somewhere unless you've been there once before. It can also mean to become active or flourishing again. Uh, 
you can't go back and you can't be active and flourishing again if you never were in the first place. And so I want to overcome the, the, the first misconception here is that we've never been truly alive. But I will tell you this, God made you alive. He is the life giver. How do we see this? It's in the whole pattern of, of our Christian walk. Well, first of all, we were born. We were individually created by God. Um, so I'm going to guess that everybody here in this room has been born at least once. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Um, and, and so if you're in this room, that means you've been born. God gave you life. He gave you breath. He formed your body. He put you in your mother's womb, and you were brought to life through that process, that biological. And some people would say, well, no, that's just a biological process. Well, who do you think created that process? God made you, and he knew you in your mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this was a very specific message to Jeremiah. He was trying to encourage Jeremiah and say, listen, I'm giving you a message, and you can do this. You're the man for the job. I know this because I created you. I made you. And so God says the same thing to us. When God gives us a task or he gives us a job, he says, I know you're up to it because I made you for this very purpose. And so we know from birth, God is the giver of life. But he doesn't just give us life once. He offers us a second life in salvation. And it's, it's very confusing. It doesn't make much sense to us from, from an earthly, physical perspective. And yet we're not just born of the flesh. We also become born of the Spirit. In John chapter 3, it records the story of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, it's very obvious that you are a great teacher, a great man of God. You're, you're, you're dropping truth bombs on us left and right. We're seeing God in a new way. We're seeing him from a new perspective. I need you to tell me what's, what's going on. What do I need to do to achieve this salvation, to achieve this new life that you're talking about? And Jesus confused him a little more. And, and that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes the truth is a little bit more confusing, and we have to work our way through that truth to get to what God's trying to speak to us. But in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. I'm going to guess that's because Nicodemus was probably feeling his age a little bit, you know. There are days when I roll out of bed and I feel every one of my 38 years, you know. Um, and some of you guys are saying, 38, you're a young pup, just wait till you get my age, you know. But I'm, it, it happens, that's part of life. But anyway, Nicodemus is saying, how can you be born again when you're old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And so when when I read these passages, I think Nicodemus was probably uh, pretty frustrated with Jesus right there. He says, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. I'm trying to get you to explain things and how this is working, and you're answering me with more riddles. But the truth is, is that Jesus was saying it, it is. It's kind of a mystery because it doesn't make sense to us from an earthly perspective. We have to understand that what goes on in the spirit, we don't always know and we don't always understand. We see the after effects of it, just like with the wind and as it blows. So we see here that God not only gives us a physical life, but he also offers us a spiritual life. And then the third way he offers us life is he offers us an eternal life through our resurrection. And that is going to be both a spiritual and a physical resurrection. 
When you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul was trying to explain to the, to the Corinthian church, he said, listen, don't, don't misunderstand this. This isn't just going to be a spiritual resurrection that we're just going to be with heaven in spirit only. No, your body will be raised. You will receive a new body and you will go to a new Jerusalem and you will physically be in the presence of God. He compared it to seeds being planted in the ground. We bury the seed and up comes the plant. And he said in the same way, we bury our, our dear believers that have passed away, but they are going to be raised back to life again. And so that is you know, the, the, the culmination. God gives us life physically. He gives us life spiritually. And he gives us life eternally. So this idea that you only live once, from the, from the get-go, we see that that's not true. That's not the way God says things work. And so if we're going to uh, experience revival, we need to understand that this call to life, it's a call to life again. This is something that God has said from the very get-go. This is how it's supposed to work. First, I'll give you the physical life. Then I'll give you the spiritual life. Then I'll give you the eternal life. Life again. Revival. The second lie that we're told sometimes is that we're alone and that no one, not even God, cares about us. And you know, no matter who we are, we've all felt that at some time. And, and you don't even have to be physically alone. You can be in a room full of people and you can still feel alone. You can still feel like no one understands me. You can still feel like no one cares about what I'm going through. You can still feel like no one understands how hard it was for me to even get myself out of bed and get to this place. So you can be alone even when you are physically surrounded by people. And so you know, we're, we live in a society where we're being more and more cut off. And we say, well, no, we're more connected. We have Facebook. We can FaceTime people, even if they live on the other side of the world. And we think we're connected. But, but we, you know, it, the scientists that have done the studies, they proved that we actually feel less connection right now. We feel more cut off. We feel like we're not connecting in the way that we want to or the way that we should. But let me tell you something. God didn't give you a life so that you could walk through it alone. First of all, he gave you a family, and then he gave you a church family, and then he gave you friends, and he gives you people to surround you, but God doesn't just rely on them. God himself wants to live your life with you, by your side, holding your hand every step of the way. Well, how do you know that? Well, we often talk about the Bible and how the Bible is, really, it's just the story of God's love. It's the story of how God, you know, made the world, how he operated in it. But really, if we trace it in here, this Bible is a story of how God, of, of all the links that God has gone to, to be with you. Let's look at it. In, in Genesis chapter 2, at the very beginning of the Bible, God created a garden and he put Adam in it. And he didn't just put Adam in the garden and then stand back and watch him like uh, Adam was in some kind of ant farm. No, it says that he was down there and he would bring the animals to him and show him to them. And why don't you name them? And, and God interacted with Adam. And then he said, you know what? It's not good that, that Adam is alone. All these animals have their mate. Adam needs a mate too. So he created Eve for Adam. And so God wanted them to go through life together. He, it was supposed to be a social experience. In uh, Genesis 3, 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When they heard the footsteps in the garden, they knew who it was. They knew it was God. Why? Because they walked with God on a regular basis. And here we find the place where sin has made it impossible for them to walk with God anymore. And it wasn't that God removed himself from them. They removed themselves from God because they were ashamed, because they knew that they had done something that they shouldn't have done. 
And so the plan that God had for Adam and Eve was that I've made this garden. I've provided for all, all of your needs. You know, this is a beautiful place. It has fruit in abundance. It has animals. It has everything you could ever need. And yet, you know, because of the choices of Adam and Eve, they weren't able to continue in that. So God had created a garden because he wanted to live his life and live Adam and Eve's life by their side. So then sin happens, and they get cut off, and God has to put a different kind of plan into motion. And so we see, as we continue reading in the Bible, that God created this idea of a tabernacle. He, he gave the plans for the tabernacle to Moses. He said, I want you to build it and construct it in just this way, and this tabernacle will be a symbol of my presence in the Israelite camp. This will be the place where you can come and you can meet with me. This will be where the mercy seat, the judgment seat sits, and I will speak to you from atop that, from atop that ark. Exodus chapter 3 says, um, And he replied, this is God, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So this is where... Um, the Israelites are leaving. They're leaving Egypt. They're going out into the wilderness, out into the desert by, by themselves. And, and Moses is saying, God, we need you to go with us. Um, you know, you've gotten us this far, but we need you to go the rest of the way. So Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. Oh, if your presence does not go, presence does not go, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Does that sound like a God who didn't care about Moses or about the Israelites? No. It sounded like a God who said, I care for you. I brought you out of slavery. I purchased you, and, and you are my people, and now I'm going to go with you. And, and they would follow God's presence through the wilderness for all those 40 years. They said there was a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and wherever the, the, the pillar stopped, that's where they camped, and they stayed there until God said, let's move on even further. They were walking through this wilderness experience with God by their side the whole way. Then eventually they find themselves on the border of the promised land. They're getting ready to cross over into the land that God had promised to give them. And they said, okay, God, you've led us this far. You can't abandon us now. And so Moses had passed away at this time. Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. And God encouraged him here in Joshua 1.9. He said, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God wants to go with us wherever we go. And so even when we're in a position like the Israelites were, where they didn't have a permanent home yet, they were still camping. They were still moving from place to place. God said, I'm going to go with you. If you're over here by this oasis, I'm going to be there with you. If you're over here by these mountains, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. If there's anything more encouraging to us today, it should be that fact that God wants to go with us wherever we go. Then the Israelites find themselves in the promised land. They've got a home finally. They're settled down. And God said, all right, we don't need this tabernacle anymore because we're not moving all over the place. I've given you a home. I've given you a place to put your roots down. I'm putting my roots down too. And so he gave Solomon the plans to build the temple. And uh, it, it says that when they built the temple, the whole nation of Israel worked together to build this temple, this house for God, this permanent place where God could be with them. And it says in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 12, and 15, 15 and 16. This is uh, at the dedication uh, when, the, when they finally finished the temple. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. 
My eyes now will be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. He said, look, I gave you a home and I'm going to come live in that home with you. You built this temple for me. This is where my presence is going to be. When you need to find me, you know where to go. I'm going to be with you uh, through, through everything. And so God, uh, really, he just took that tabernacle, that temporary tent that he took from place to place. He made it permanent in the temple. But it doesn't just end in the, in the Old Testament. We see that God continued to, to bring his presence to his people wherever they would be. In the person of Jesus specifically, we have God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God said, it's not good enough for me to have a temple now because the temple had been destroyed, because, because uh, uh, other foreign countries had come in and had taken over Israel, and, and they had said, you know, you're not allowed to worship the, the way that you wanted to. You have to follow our rules now. And so God said, look, uh, I'm not going to rely on this temple. I'm going to be with you no matter what. And so he sent Jesus to come from heaven and to live a human life with us. And John chapter 1, verse 10 and 14, it says, he was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the rights to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory, and the glory was the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was the embodiment of God with us, you know, uh, and, and we might say, well, that's awesome. When I was a kid, I often thought, man, how cool would it have been to be alive when Jesus was walking the earth? How cool would it have been to be able to actually sit down and eat a meal with him or to hear him talk and to teach, to read scripture with him, to pray with him? How cool would that have been? And so sometimes I was a little bit jealous. Even though I do like my air conditioning, I like my indoor plumbing, it still would have been cool to be with Jesus in those times. And yet, um, we still have the presence of God with us now. Jesus eventually left. He went back to heaven, but he didn't leave us alone. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. The Holy Spirit lives in us today, and that's why we're able to, every morning when we open up our eyes, we're able to say, God, and, and, and speak his name and talk to him, and God hears us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's with you in that room. When you go to work, when you're commuting, God is with you in your car. When you sit down at your desk and you turn on your computer, God is with you then. When you get in your work truck and you begin driving to the job site, God is with you. When you sit down and you take your lunch break and you eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, God is with you. He's with us all the time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians again, he says, Do, not, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So God wants to be with us. He wants to go everywhere we go. 
And then finally, he does, he offers us resurrection. John chapter 14 says, If I go away and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. God wants to be with us. If it's not clear at this point, I don't know how to get it through to you. God wants to be with you. In Revelation chapter 21, this is a vision that John received of what it was going to be like when God finally returns and takes his people home. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God has gone to no, no end of lengths to try to let you know that he wants to be with you. He wants to walk through your life with you. So when the enemy tries to convince you that you're alone, that no one cares about you, that no one that, that you have to go through life independent and you've got to take care of yourself and no one is there going to be there to help you, know that you've got a God who has gone out of his way to let you know that he wants to be with you, he is with you, and he will always be with you. The last lie that, that, that the enemy tries to tell us sometimes is that he, he tells us we're washed up. He tells us that we've messed up too many times and that we might as well give up. Well, let me tell you something. We get frustrated sometimes when our life doesn't look the way we expected it to go. You know, we all have our plans for where life is going to go. And for most of us, we think it's going to go to the right and up, right? We think everything's going to be positive. Everything's going to work out. We have our plans. We have our, our, what, what we think is going to happen. But life doesn't work how we planned it, right? Just recently, there was a movie that came out, and that was one of the things that, that the big villain of the movie does is he makes it possible for everyone in the world to have what they want, to have their wish. And what happened, the world went, it was chaotic, because if we all got what we want, the world wouldn't work. And so it's just the nature of life on earth that you're not going to get everything you want, and we get frustrated. We also get frustrated that, that we're not consistent enough. I know I do that. Um, I, I want to be... Um, I want to be on fire for God. I want to be passionate all the time. I want to, you know, just want to read the Bible. I want to want to pray, you know, and, and yet we don't understand that that's not normal, right? I, I mean, we, our bodies are meant to go through cycles and seasons. And so we get frustrated when we're not able to, to maintain that level of intense desire and all of that that we want. Um, and, and we don't understand. And we beat ourselves up over it a little bit sometimes. And, and so... You know, I guess what we have to understand here is that um, we're going to go through ups and downs. We're going to have times where we are on fire for God, and we're going to have times where we're like, man, I don't even want to go to church today. We're going to have times where we just can't get enough worship and prayer and time alone with the Lord, and there are going to be other times where we're like, I don't have time for all that mess. You know, and God understands. He understands that it, it's not going to be consistent all the time. We go through ups and downs. You know, um, we get frustrated. I remember uh, talking to a young man one time, and he, he was trying to tell me that he didn't like going to sleep at night because he said it's a waste of time. He said, that's eight whole hours. I could be doing something else with my time. But I told him, I said, you don't understand. Your body needs that. Your body needs the cycles. Your body needs the ups and downs uh, because you're not designed to just run 100% 24-7. The world doesn't work like that. 
We don't get frustrated with ourselves when we have to eat again. We think, well, I ate breakfast this morning. I should be done for the day. I shouldn't have to eat anymore. But we don't get upset with our bodies when our body naturally says, no, I've used up all that fuel. You're going to have to get a little bit more. And sometimes with God, we think, well, I already got saved. I shouldn't need to, to go back to God. I shouldn't need to be revived. I shouldn't need to you know, try to catch his fire again because I already did that once before. No, it's just that's not the way the world works. If the musicians want to come on up, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this thing up. And uh, recently I was listening to a podcast and they were interviewing Seth Godin, who's uh, an author. He's uh, written blogs and, and he does podcasts and all that. And recently they, they, they were saying, what's your latest project, Seth? What are you working on? And he said, I'm trying to work with authors and work with writers and convince them that they don't have writer's block. And, and they said, well, what do you mean you, they don't have writer's block? Authors have been complaining about having writer's block uh, for, for centuries. And you talk to any college student who has a paper due the next morning, and they'll understand and they'll say, no, writer's block's real. You know, here I am, I need to write this, this paper, but it just not, it's not flowing. It's not coming out of my brain. I have the info, I've done the research, but I just can't get it on the paper. And he was trying to say, no, this writer's block isn't real. And he said, let me explain it to you like this. He said, we don't get plumber's block right? We don't get electrician's block. We don't get teacher's block, right? We, we will face adversity. There will be times when it doesn't come easily, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible to do the job. Sometimes it's like that with, with our spiritual walk. Sometimes we feel like we've got a little bit of blockage in there. We feel like there's something that's keeping us from having the freedom and the, and the passion and the, the, the spiritual success that we think that we should be having. But let me tell you the secret. All right. If you want to get past writer's block, you just got to keep writing. It might not be good, but you got to keep writing. And this is what uh, Seth Godin was talking about. He said, many times what's causing the writer's block is because the author is obsessed with perfection. When I write, it should be good. It should be, this should be the next American masterpiece. This should be, should, it should be great. When I put it on paper, it should just glow. It's so awesome. And he said, but that's not the way it works. Not everything you write is going to be great. Not everything you put your hand to is going to be amazing. So what you have to do is you just have to keep on chugging. I love to read science fiction, and one of the greatest science fiction authors is Isaac Asimov. That man has published over 400 books. Now, not all 400 of those books are great books, but there's a few in there that are real gems. And so what had to happen was he had to just keep putting those books out there, and he kept writing, and he kept writing, and he kept writing, and eventually some good ones slipped through. And sometimes that's how it is with God. We have to try and fail. And then we try and we fail. And we try and we fail. And then, but we keep at it. And eventually we get that victory. Eventually we see that thing that God is trying to do in our life. See, uh, see it come about. We see it come to fruition. Um, I also love music. And so I've been reading and studying a lot about different musicians and how they worked. You know, because it's amazing to me how, how their minds work. I was a musician for a while, but it was never natural to me. I had to learn. I had to be taught. I had to work at it. I had to practice. But there's some people where it just seems to be so natural. They can, they can speak the language of music without even trying. And so you have uh, different methods and, and different processes that, that will produce a record or an album. You can have someone like Miles Davis who went into a studio and in three days he and his uh, fellow musicians churned out the, the album Kind of Blue, one of the best jazz albums that's ever been written. It took them three days to make that album in the studio. That's pretty amazing. I mean, 
And then on the flip side, you've got someone like Steely Dan who took over a year to make the album Gaucho and they would do take after take after take after take after take trying to get that perfection. Both of them created amazing albums, but it was a different process to get there. And that's what we have to understand. Sometimes we look at people and we think, man, why can't I have victory like that person? Why can't it just be easy for me like for that person? You know, why can't I just you know, do the things that I want to do and not have to work and struggle and strive all the time for it. But we have to understand that we have a different process. And so we can't get frustrated. And when we fail, we don't see it as something that says you're not enough. We don't see it as something that says you'll never succeed. We need to see it as this is just part of the process that's getting me where God has taken me. Anyone who knows me also knows that I'm a big history nerd. I love history. When I was in elementary school, I eventually reached a place where the librarian told me, you have read every biography that we have in our school library. And, and so she suggested some other categories. She said, you might like these books too, because <laughs> I'm out of the others. But I love history, and so it's no, it's no surprise that I've been drawn to this one particular YouTube channel where they reenact and they talk about how they did things in the past. Just simple things like, well, how did they bake bread when they didn't have an oven that you could preheat you know, to 400 degrees? How did, they, how did they make a canoe when they didn't have power tools? And so, you know, this, the point of this YouTube channel is to, to show how people did all of these things. And one of the amazing things to me is, like, really watching how they cook because it, it's very different when you don't have a stove. It's very different when you don't have an oven. And so it, it's very interesting watching them manage the fire. When they're cooking over that campfire or when they're cooking in, in some kind of an oven, they have to have different areas or different zones. Uh, those of you who are better grillers than I am know that even on your grill, you should have hot zone, a medium zone, and a low zone. And I don't know all of that. I just throw the burger on and hope it comes out okay. But, but the point is, it's like you have to manage the fire. And, and so sometimes you want a fire that's burning hot and it's burning bright and you want it burning intensely. You'll use that. And, and sometimes it depends on what you're doing. If you're forging metal, you want it burning as hot as you can. That's when you get the bellows and you really apply that extra air and oxygen to it so that it can burn as hot as it possibly can so that it can do the job that you need it to do. Then there's other times where you need a low steady heat right and you and you need just enough heat at the time and so we need to understand that that's the way it's going to be with God sometimes we're going to be burning real hot because God's got you and he's using you for a particular purpose and you are burning hot and you are burning bright because he's forging some metal he's working some tough stuff out of your life and then there's other times where you just need to settle in and you need to let that slow burn happen and you need to be patient and wait I'm not a very cook and part of the reason for that is because I'm impatient Right? I can't just put it down and leave it and let it do its job. I have to check it. I have to flip it up. Is it burning on the bottom? I, I'm, I pester it. I leave it. I, I pick at it. And what ends up happening is I ruin the whole thing. But sometimes we have to just sit back and let God do his process. But then the other thing you have to watch in, 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 and in these videos he points out, he says, you've got your main fire. He says, you've got where you pull some of the coals out and you create that low, steady heat. But the last thing is, is you ha sometimes you have to maintain those coals because sometimes because they're outside of the fire, because they're burning low and slow, sometimes they'll start to burn out. And so you have to be watching those coals. And when they start to burn out, you have to take it and you have to put it back in the fire for a little bit. You got to let it reignite. You got to let it come back to life. And so that's the way it is sometimes in our spiritual walk. Sometimes we've been burning low and slow long enough. 
that we start to peter out, we start to die, we start to grow cold, and we're not able to do what God has called us to do. And so wherever you find yourself in that situation, you have to understand that this is just part of God's plan. You know, um, and just because you're burning low and slow and maybe it's been a while since you've been in that fire and maybe it's been a while since you felt that, maybe it's been a while since the Spirit's really got a hold of you and, 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 and just jerked a knot in your tail and got you all fired up, maybe it's been a while. That just, it's not a bad thing. Don't beat yourself up over it. That's a natural process. But then that's when you need to get back in the fire. That's when you need to pursue God once more. I was talking to someone earlier this week about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they were just saying, you know, I've been seeking it for a long time, and I've never experienced that. You know, how does that happen? And I told them, I said, you know, I really can't explain it. That's another one of those mysteries in the Bible. You know, you, you can't say the magic words and do it. You, you don't have to, you know, raise your right hand, raise your left hand, raise your... Well, no, that's kids' church. But anyway, you know, there's not a magic formula to experience that. But God will give it to you. And what I shared with them is the, the reason God gives you tongues and the reason God gives you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is because he's doing it for a purpose. He gives you that power for a purpose. So you need to make sure that you're doing God's purposes, and then he will give you the power to make sure that you do it. So the question is, is as we consider revival and we think about, you know, and the, the tagline for this whole series is that we're stronger than ever. Well, how can we be stronger than ever? Because as I mentioned before, you know, our bodies don't last forever, right? We, we, eventually, you get stronger for a time, but eventually you hit that peak performance. Look at any athlete in any sport. You, they reach a time where they have reached the, the, the pinnacle of their ability, and then as they age, their body just can't do what it used to do. And they get weaker, and they get weaker, and they get slower, and they, they lose their accuracy, and they're not able to respond, and they don't have the stamina that they used to have. And so we say, well, well, if that's the way it works in the natural world, how can we stay stronger than ever? Well, because the reality is, is that when it comes to our spiritual walk, when it comes to living a life alongside God with Him next to us, we're not doing it under our own ability. We're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here is what I want to ask you today. Some of us, we find ourselves in a place where we've never had that fire. We've never had that passion. We've never had that zeal in our life. We, we can be like these the bones that we talked about at the beginning where we're dead and we're dry. And, you know, if you're trying to start a fire and you've got some kindling there, you want it dry. You want it to, to be set up in just the right way. But then when you throw that match or you throw that spark on there, what happens? It flares up big and bright. And it's because it was ready. It was primed. Some people in this room or watching us on the internet, maybe you're primed right now. Maybe you're dead and you're dry and you know, hey, this isn't right. This isn't what it's supposed to be. I want the fire of God in my life. I want more. I want to be uh, passionate. I want to feel God's presence. If that's where you are today, don't beat yourself up over it because we've all been there. That's part of the process. And I pray that if you are able to make that commitment to, to serve the Lord, and if you give your heart to God and you experience forgiveness for the first time, you are going to, I'm jealous of you because when you get to feel that forgiveness and you get to feel that weight lift, man, there's no greater feeling than knowing that uh, my creator came and he died on my behalf. I don't have to bury the penalty of my sins anymore. He has set me free. And now I have a ticket to heaven. I get to go to heaven and be with my creator. There's no greater feeling in the world. But some of us, we've already had that fire. We've already burned through our kindling, and we're now down to that coal stage. And I want to encourage you that if that's where you are, be patient. Now, the thing about coals is you can't just leave them there because what happens? They die. 
So occasionally you have to go over and you have to stir it up. You have to you have to play with it a little bit. When it comes to building our bonfire in the backyard, we've got an old wheelbarrow handle that we use to stir up the fire. And when the fire starts to die down, what do we do? We go over and we throw another log in and we, we mix it around. We make sure that that fire is still burning. And the reason we do that is because that fire has a purpose. It's to give us light. It's to give us heat. It's to give us warmth. God still has a purpose for your life. And so if you feel yourself starting to die, you, see, you feel yourself starting to cool down, that's when you need to stir yourself up, right? And you can do that in many different ways. I'll tell you, when I was standing at the back of the sanctuary and I heard the worship team up here singing, Holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. It was like the doors of heaven, heaven were opening up because you read in Scripture. When it gives you a peek into heaven, what does it say has happened? Is that the, 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 the angels, the creatures are surrounding God's throne and they're crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so here in this place, we were doing the exact same thing. We stir ourselves up through worship. We stir ourselves up through prayer. We stir ourselves up by getting in the Word and talking to, to our, our Father. We stir ourselves up by getting with other believers and encouraging one another. And you know what? I've been in many different Bible study groups over the years, and, and I've never really had that, you know, it, it's not that it's an, an epiphany, and it's not that they're giving me brand new information, but sometimes you just need to be reminded. Sometimes you need somebody to speak some truth and some wisdom into your life to encourage you when, when it's tough, because it is tough to go things alone. And so we need to stir ourselves up. And then last, maybe you're on the flip side of that. Maybe you have been... You, you've let it go too long. You haven't stirred yourself long enough, and you're feeling like my fire is all the way dead. I don't know how I can go on much longer. I'm done. I've given up. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you. You know, it's it's very easy to take a piece of uh, a coal or an ember that had one time burned, and you throw it back in the fire, it's going to fire right back up. And so I want to encourage you. So whether you are that in that place where you need that new fire, that fresh fire, that spiritual birth that we talked about with Nicodemus, I want to encourage you to ask the Father to forgive your sins and experience that joy for the first time in your life. If you're someone who needs to be stirred up, and I'm, i got to tell you, there's a lot of us that need to be stirred up because this last year has been a tough year. It's been tough in many different ways. It's affected us in ways that we had not anticipated beyond just a simple virus, beyond, you know, uh, uh, an interruption of our daily life. It's been hard on a mental level, on an emotional level, on a physical level. And it's just been, it's been tough. And so I want to encourage you to stir yourself up. And if you feel that fire beginning to die in you, that's when you're in emergency mode. You need to get back in that fire right now. You need to stir yourself up. You need to be playing some worship music. You need to be getting in the Word. You need to be praying. You need to call your brother or your sister in Christ and say, Hey, I'm having a rough day. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know how much longer I can make it. And let them pray for you. We talked about that Wednesday night in the, youth, in the young adults group about how it is a privilege and an honor to be able to pray for and lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that is my encouragement to you today. You know, as we continue this study on revival and we talk about living again, you know, God wants to be with us. He wants to walk through our life with us. He wants to bring us to life and he'll breathe life into you over and over and over and over again. Every time you need a touch from God, just ask. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Every time you need some encouragement, just get around. There are certain people in this church where I know if I'm in a bad mood and I talk to them, I'm not going to be in a bad mood by the time I'm done because they can't help but be excited and be bubbled up and be you know, just so uh, on fire for what the Lord is doing in their life. Get around some people like that and don't let yourself be worn down. 
So I want to pray today, and if you all would stand with me, we're going to pray for a fresh fire in our church. We're going to pray for a fresh fire in our lives and in our families. And, and so whether this is the first time you've prayed for that fire in your life, good for you. God has been trying to get you to come home. He wants to, to, to be with you. I, I've just shown you example after example after example of how God wants to be in your life. He wants to be a part of your life to walk through it with you every step of the way. If you're needing to be stirred up or if you're just needing to be put back in the fire, whatever your need is today, we're going to pray for that today. And when you're done praying for yourself and you're done praying for your family, I want you to pray for the neighbor on either side of you. Because that is how we're going to succeed. Not on our own, but by lifting one another up and praying for each other. Father God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for this message that we, you've given us. Lord, this was a strange passage of scripture that we read about a valley of dead bones. Lord God, and, and how you brought them to life. And you, you had the prophet speak life back into those dead bones. Father God, as we looked at some of the lies and the deceptions that the enemy tries to convince us, we understand that we don't just live life once, but that you breathe life into us. You give us a physical life. You give us a spiritual life. And you give us an eternal life. Lord, and not only do you give us that life, but you walk through this life with us. And so we're not alone. We don't have to face things under our own power, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, if there's anybody in this house who's been toying with the idea of committing their life to you, Lord God, I pray that you would give them the courage to go ahead and make that step today. Father, I pray that you would give them that forgiveness that they know that they need. Lord, I pray that you would give them a, a, an injection of your joy, Father God, in, directly into their bodies. Lord, I pray that they would experience the freedom of forgiveness for the first time. Lord God, if there's someone in this house today who has, 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 has been in, in a position where they're burning low and slow, Lord, and they need to be stirred up, Lord God, I pray that you would just put uh, things in their life that would stir up their passion for you and their desire for you. Lord I, God, I pray that you, would, that, that you would surround them with worship music, with people who are praying, with people who are studying your word, and help them to catch that fire again. Lord, help them to be patient as you work through the, that part of our life where you need us to just burn slow and steady. And Father God, if there's anyone in this house, Lord, who has felt their faith faltering, Lord, because they felt disconnected, because they've been outside of the fire for too long, because they've, they've felt the, 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 the weight of this world too hard, Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and move on them today. Lord, I pray that you would just ignite their spirit once more so that they could experience your love and your joy. Father, we love you and we pray that you will do this. Lord, we're praying for revival not only in this city or in this, in, in this church, but in our families and in, our, in this city, in this country. Lord, we know that you can make us live again. You have created life in us. You continue to breathe life in us and you will give us life eternally. So Lord God, bring us to life once more so that we can hold on to, to the plan that you have for us. Lord, we're so grateful that you have made ways to be in our life. Lord, we, we're so grateful that you've gone out of your way to walk through our life with us. And so, Father, as we leave this house today, Lord, I pray that everyone would be encouraged. Lord, I pray that the, the fire would just ignite from a small spark down in their spirit so that they're burning and passionate for you once more. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. As we go out this week, just stir yourself up and look for ways where you could stir someone else up too. Because God wants to bring us revival and we can be stronger than ever 
because we're doing it with the Spirit of God and not under our own power. Have a good day. This is my